It's episode four of the PRL podcast, Where the Wild Things Win. That's a quote from Sourland by River Solomon. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about stories that happen, that take place in nature, specifically in the woods. And our main story is going to be uh, Cocaine Bear, a film by Elizabeth Banks. Uh, so uh, today I have, I'm Roy, I'm the host of the PRL podcast. And today I have Reggie with me again. Say hello, Reggie. Hello, hello. You brought me in on Cocaine Bear, shaking my head. <laughs> I brought you in with Cocaine Bear, and then I got you stuck with uh, Sorrowland. You did. You did. <laughs> uh, and then we have a, a, a third pick that we're going to talk about as well today. So come on back after the, the break, and we'll, we'll discuss our nature stories. Can you hear ice <laughs> in the background? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's nature, man. It's nature. And we're in the nature today. All right. So welcome back. Today, we're talking about Cocaine Bear. It came out this year. It came out a few months ago in theaters. And uh, Reggie and I watched it on Peacock this weekend or today. And so we're going to talk about our impressions of that. So first off, Reggie, tell me your first impression of Cocaine Bear. I'm embarrassed to say I liked it. Oh, yeah? I did. It's not the worst movie ever. It's not like a Chucky movie or something like that. In my head, when I seen the commercials a while back, I thought it was just going to be one of those intentionally stupid comedies right and in the name right cocaine bear like really what you it just sounds stupid so when i saw that it was a thriller (laughs) and not a comedy like that kind of changed my impression but then just watching through it i was like this is great like (laughs) good job for the bear man like Everybody I definitely, <laughs> yeah, everybody that died in it, definitely, well, I don't know if I can, if I agree with that. It seemed like there was a lot of arbitrary dying in that, in that movie. But, I mean, whenever you have something like a, a bear on cocaine, it's hard not to kill a bunch of stuff, because then it's not believable, I guess. But it's called Cocaine Bear. How believable is that premise in the first place? <laughs> So let me tell you my first impression. (laughs) Supposedly, uh, well, it is based on. It's not telling the true, the actual events of what happened. Because I can't imagine that a story like that would have actually happened. And like the whole thing with the bear is what made me like, what the fuck is this? Like, so the bear was just chilling in the woods after after all was said and done with a bunch of cocaine and his babies or her babies. It just seemed like a weird ending, and it made me question that whether or not. Like if that actually happened, either that bear's heart would have exploded <laughs> or people would have like killed it though. Like I feel like it would have died by the end of that movie. I can see that. But let me give you your first impression on the movie before we go deeper. 
I was, I think I was like you where I was expect, I went in expecting something that was supposed to be funny. And I had heard some interviews with, uh, the, with Elizabeth Banks. I guess she directed the movie, but whenever I noticed, whenever it first came on, it was like an Elizabeth Banks movie. So she takes full credit for it, but (laughs) I I, I listened to some of her uh, interviews and stuff and the way that she talked about it. It was, yeah, like it seemed like a, a funnier movie. And, and like, yeah, there were, there are thriller aspects to it, but it, I was expecting something just like a, more of a straightforward comedy with like some gruesome bear scenes. And I guess that's essentially what it was, but I didn't think it was as funny as I thought it would be, mostly because I was too busy being like, oh God, like that's a horrible way to die. Like, <laughs> If I felt guilty laughing at it at times, and it was like they did. They, I think they leaned a little bit too into the uh, the the gruesomeness, and it sort of killed the funny a little bit for me. I can definitely see that, but I can't imagine a bear hopped up on cocaine having a series of clean kills. So, <laughs> right, absolutely, that was. I didn't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say there were several points where you, it's like it tried too hard to be funny. Mm -hmm. It's like give me one or the other, because like you were saying, it creates those awkward moments where you're laughing. And then somebody dies horribly. So it makes you feel bad for enjoying it. So I can totally see your point there. I'm thinking about that scene where uh, the park ranger, like the park ranger character was like, she was unhinged. Like she had that gun and then she accidentally shot that dude. And like, she was just horrible. So whenever she died, I didn't like feel bad. It was like, shit, like you murdered somebody today (laughs) but it was still weird because she dies like they're trying to escape the ambulance comes and they're trying to escape and she's like strapped down to that bed and it rolls out the back and then it flips over and she's still strapped to the bed and so her face just gets like graded off and i think that that was played for laughs but i was just too busy like oh my god this is gross like i don't want to (laughs) see it was i just i couldn't laugh at anything and then those poor ambulance drivers, they died. And I, like, they didn't do anything. They just tried to help. I felt bad for them. And it wasn't, well, yeah, yeah. it was because of the bear on cocaine. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the movie definitely should have been over sooner. Somebody should have just shot the bear. But right. I get it. We wouldn't have gotten an hour and a half out of it, considering yeah. there were two guns on the scene very early on three when the third when the police officer got there so yeah the bear should have been dead the thing that i like about it though which may be me looking too deep into it though it is kind of that commentary on humans effect on nature with their Mm -hmm. introduction to it and usually we see that end where nature like loses and so to see the bear, like, in the end, just chilling and playing with his cubs all high shit, it's like, it's very, I'm like, good for you, bear. Like, you should have lived because somebody threw these drugs into your home. 
You right. got them. It felt good. And you just kept looking for the drug. So the casualty was the human beings who introduced this substance into your habitat anyway. So yeah. <laughs> they deserve and it. Uh, Which is cool. That, is, that is a... Right. Yeah, no, that is a clear message of the movie. I agree with you there. But I think more than anything, my problem with it was just like, I didn't know whether to laugh or to <laughs> to be scared. Because it did, I think the movie did a good job. I don't know what you call the kind of movies where you have humans battling nature. Because there's a lot of movies about uh, people that have to like deal with uh, uh, like crazy out of control animals. I'm thinking about um, Anaconda the, where they have to fight the snake and then uh, um, arachnophobia where all the spiders start swarming uh, the birds, that really old movie where the, the birds start attacking people. So like, I don't know if there's like a genre for that kind of movie, Jaws or Cujo, all those movies where snakes the animal the is sort of like the, Snakes on a plane, perfect example. <laughs> you know, I've never actually seen that. I don't know how that. Me neither. That I just it. know that one <laughs> phrase. All these motherfucking snakes on this plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess you would. Well, but yeah. So, like, just movies like that about about humans and animals and stuff. Those movies are always interesting, and they have those same themes that you were talking about earlier, where it's either um, we pay the consequences. Jurassic Park is a good example where we pay consequences for fucking around with nature, and then, but Jurassic Park is like, I mean, I guess Jurassic Park is a, a very good example or a good. Um, parallel story to bring up because it's a similar idea where it's like if you gave a bear if you threw some fucking cocaine in the forest like something's gonna get into it and if a crazy bear gets it then crazy shit's gonna happen duh like be smarter and jurassic park is similar because it's like yeah of course if you make some dinosaurs they're gonna murder a bunch of people like you shouldn't do it so those movies to me like they're in the same boat and i hate both movies because it's like why would you be this fucking stupid but i guess in cocaine bear it was uh uh the crazy dude at the beginning who who threw the cocaine in the forest but i thought i don't know if you remember but it seemed like they did that regularly like that's how they uh smuggle cocaine into the country or was it just mm-hmm. that dude being crazy and he just threw it all out of the plane i think um ray Liotta's character was saying that's the usual they would throw a certain okay. amount if it it's like they would ditch it if something was happening like the plane was going down so mm-hmm. I assume that's what was happening in that first scene. The plane was going down, so he was throwing it out, throwing it out, and jumping out to kind of be there to collect it. But we see how that worked out. <laughs> it did not work out well. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like I do, I do, I can understand the themes of it. I can appreciate the themes of it. But watching movies like that it just makes me so frustrated. Like, why would you just? Like and it was so much cocaine in them woods and them kids were using it. Like everybody was on cocaine in them in them woods. <laughs> the dude though, the guy from um Modern Family, for one, yes, he, yeah. like he just looked funny, right? I'm sure he that did. was their goal. He didn't look like himself. But he trips into it. No, he did yeah. not. <laughs> he trips and falls into it face first. <laughs> 
and then climbs up the tree and the bear smells it and that's how the bear like runs up there to get him and it's oh, like God. yeah it's chewed his really leg off easy of access <laughs> yeah it was just yeah too much cocaine too much cocaine it was too much that's the moral of that story is there's too much cocaine <laughs> but i did then, i did like, really enjoy no go ahead i'm sorry But no, so the saddest part to me, though, yes, the kids did the cocaine. That is sad. They should never have been <laughs> But the cubs, though, like rolling around in the bag, and the boy was yeah. like, they look like polar bears. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was the saddest thing to me, right? Like, these cubs are now exposed, and they have a supply to get hooked on it. <laughs> they have a steady supply because even at the end they were saying how they never really recovered all the cocaine from the woods so the implication is that yeah those, those bears they they could stay coked up for the rest of their life <laughs> yeah. which will be shortened like you said hearts are going to explode <laughs> i would think so i don't know i did really like um I like the the nature setting. Like it was a beautiful park. Like wherever it was that they filmed it. I forget where it took place. It was in Tennessee, I think. That was um, supposed to be Georgia. Georgia? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Th- those woods were beautiful. Like I don't hike or anything like that, but it would be nice to to hike through those woods without a cocaine bear running around. <laughs> <laughs> right. the main reason i wanted to watch the movie i wanted to see how they did the bear right like Mm -hmm. because of course we have all of these animation options um or you could just train a bear to act like his own coke or give a real bear some coke he had so many options here (laughs) i don't think those were viable options in my mind they were okay but no i guess that would have been cgi that they did i think i think a lot of it was yeah Mm. it was like this is i appreciated it like it looked yeah real enough yeah and so yeah i agree it didn't break away from the story I think it does, it it sort of differentiates between uh, real bears and what you're seeing in the movie. Because I don't think the the movie doesn't try to make you afraid of bears, I don't think. I think the movie does a good job of being like, this isn't like all bears, you know? Like, this is just crazy hopped up on cocaine bears. Like, it felt like a different type of thing than just a regular bear that you could encounter in the woods, which I think is... a a very responsible thing to do because I don't know if you know, like whenever Jaws came out, there were a lot of people who were like, kill all the sharks because they assumed that all sharks were Jaws. So it was like, I think you, whenever you make a movie like like this, like you, you run the risk of vilifying all animals to people because people are stupid and they see something in a movie and they just assume that that's where all animals are. But I think they did a good job of making it cartoonish and funny in a way, in a believable way. So that you can see, like, yeah, no, that's not a regular bear. Yeah, definitely. It was in the eyes, man. It was in the eyes. You could tell that bear was up to no good. It's high. Very high. 
I did think it was weird. Like it seemed like it had a happy ending with with cocaine, but I don't think <laughs> it just didn't seem like that should have been that bear's end. Like I think we should have saw it. You know, like like I understand like it wasn't its fault, but what would really ha- I'm so curious what would really happen to a bear if it consumed that much cocaine? It was eating whole bricks of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> It was, and I'm sure it won't. It wouldn't have ended that beautifully, that well. <laughs> but I mean, again, I feel like the bear had to win at some point. Like it just, yeah. Because otherwise, I everything guess. died. Right? <laughs> everything would have died, and it would have been the most depressing story ever. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, because the family got out. The mother and her daughter and the little boy. They would have still won. They'll never be the same again. <laughs> Ever, Did yeah. I'm sure they'll never go. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they, they came out of those woods with a cocaine addiction, but they came out alive. And that's saying yeah. something. <laughs> and seeing all of those horrible deaths, like <laughs> oh my god, yeah. yes, oh. yeah. So um, I get it. Yeah, they did walk out in the end, and the the two drug dealers they were best friends at the end, and they got a puppy. Like okay, all oh, right. I forgot about those two drug dealers, Ice Cube son <laughs> and Han Solo. <laughs> that was Ice Cube son for real. Yeah, yeah, for real. I think his name is Cube Jr. (laughs) (laughs) That's not his name. I forget his name. (laughs) Cube Jr. He already exists. What is that, video game? (laughs) Cube Jr. But I did not know that was Uh, his yeah, he was in uh, something out. He was in. Uh, he played him in um, Straight Outta Compton. So yeah, he's uh, and he was in uh, that. He was in Obi Wan, the Star Wars show on Disney Plus. I was about to ask you. Oh, do you do, have you ever seen um, any other Elizabeth Banks movies? Like she has been, I think she's been directing since maybe 2015 or 2016. My coworker today uh, reminded me that she uh, she directed Pitch Perfect, the Pitch Perfect movies. So yes, <laughs> and I think she All did. Huh? Did I freeze? She yeah, did the I Pitch Perfect the movie. Pitch Perfect did you Google it? Oh, okay. Uh, do you do you think she has like a style to her movies? I mean, comparing Cocaine Bear to Pitch Perfect, I think that's that's the might be difficult. But you know, she did both, and you know, they're both her films. I was curious if you noticed any um, Elizabeth Banks isms. Let's see. I'm looking at uh, the list. I'm trying to see what else I would have seen. All right, I guess those are the only two that I've seen. With her, though, it seems like she has that line of 
serious and off the wall jokes. So, right. cause pitch perfect was the same way. Like it was very, it was purposeful on the things that they were talking about within that movie. But then all of a sudden you got these like hilarious jokes. Um, right. And I think like that was very similar with this movie, Cocaine Bear. Now I didn't see the Charlie's Angels remake. Which, I didn't uh, see that see either. That she directed. Man, but I didn't other see than that. that Yes, yeah, so I guess we're just uh, comparing uh, Cocaine Bear and <laughs> Pitch Perfect because those are the only two I've seen as well. But yeah, I agree. I think she has like a very like uh, she is a. I think she comes from comedy. One of the first movies I've ever saw I ever saw her in was Wet Hot American Summer about the camp counselors. That's one of my favorite comedies ever made. But and she's um like I feel like you can feel the influence from like the comedy stuff she does because she was also in um she was in Thirty Rock for a few seasons and then she was in uh, I think she's been in some comedy movies as well. So I think she she knows comedy and I feel like you get like there are like. The the crazy thing about the cocaine bear is that I was wanting to laugh, but I, I felt guilty about it. But the laughs were there, and it's similar. <laughs> it's similar to Pitch Perfect, where it's like it's a a comedy, uh, but so it's like the jokes are front and center, and you don't have to feel bad about laughing. But <laughs> so I feel like it, those. I guess those two projects are hard to come up with a an idea of how, of what her style is as a director. I would have to watch more stuff, but uh, I, I was, I guess I was more curious if you had seen that Charlie's angels movie. I thought she directed the power Rangers movie too, but I think she was just in it instead of directing it. Sure. I don't see either on this list. <clears throat> yeah, me neither. I did see, well, no, that's the movie she was just in. So, well, you know, well, Overall, she's an okay director. I would watch her movies because you would you could expect at least to laugh whenever she does something. Yeah, even if you feel totally guilty about that. it. I feel bad for not feeling guilty now. Thanks, because <laughs> that was the last. No, thing. you don't. I don't think you have to feel guilty. I just felt bad. I don't think it's a normal. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. Uh, any other cocaine bear folks? <laughs> Go ahead. My favorite line from the movie. <laughs> when the dude first shows up at the um the Rangers station, he's like, uh, you got a dusty beaver here. She was like, I'm trying to take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, like it's a terrible line, but it was funny to me. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't think of any lines. That's a good one. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that out. one. <laughs> but no, other than that, I think we have exhausted the extent of the artistic quality of Cocaine Bear here. Like, <laughs> it's all in the title, man. There's cocaine. There's a bear. And then the poor, unfortunate people that get in that in the way of that bear's cocaine. That's the plot of the movie. There's some other stuff. There's like some surprise twists because one of the officers, like, uh, she's like, a, 
she's working for the cartel, the drug cartel. We find that out, but it's like a twist that you don't really care about because it, you know, you just want to see more of the bear ripping people apart. But yeah, it's an interesting movie. I say check it out. Not the best movie ever, but you know, it does it does prove that the the wild things do win in the woods. So, and that's the theme of our episode. So, because wild thing won at the end of that. So, good job, cocaine bear. Good job, <laughs> cocaine bear. All right, so welcome back to CRL's episode four. So my pick for the when nature wins, when the wild things win, wild thing wins. Where the wild things went. I just made that up, guys. I just sprung that on Reggie. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, so take that, figure out which one of those it was. And my <laughs> pick for this week <laughs> is a comedy from 95. Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. So it was the second Ace Ventura movie and it was the pet detective who was hired to help find a bat to keep the African cultures um, from going to war for lack of better terms. And that's really the gist of this entire movie. We get to see Jim Carrey in this character role of Ace Ventura go off to Africa and just investigate these two, well, this tribe and try to figure out who stole the bat by this certain time frame we got. I picked the movie because I think... It does a good job. For one, the nature scenes are are beautiful. Um, yes. There's a lot of nice animals. And then overall, we get to see kind of that divide between the rich culture who are staying at the consulate and the tribes of Africa and just follow that storyline to see what was the end goal and how do we keep those race relations. So, Roy, do you remember watching this movie when we were younger? Oh, of course I remember watching this movie a billion times. And it's funny because um, you you mentioned that it, it takes place in Africa, and I was trying to see uh, what countries it was. And, of, it was. of course, they don't <laughs> say. I guess it's Nibia is where they meet up. And then the two tribes is the Wachati and the Wachutu. Which, yeah, I don't think those are real. and uh, <laughs> But yeah, I do remember watching it as a kid and it being hilarious. I liked, it. I liked the second Ace Ventura better than the first one. I liked the first one. But this one was good because, again, I came along for the animals. And I wanted to see a lot of them were trained animals, right? They were trained animal actors, especially the Yeah, monkey. they were real. Yeah. And those turned out to be my favorite actors. Whenever I watch through it again, I'm like, yeah, it's, uh, Jim Carrey did his thing. But this monkey, though, like, oh, who's his agent? <laughs> Talented monkey, man. Yeah, that monkey's got skills. And so, like, otherwise, while I, while I was watching the movie, I was so caught up in two things. The movie was filmed in South Carolina. It was? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, 
okay, that takes a bit away from this whole nature field. Oh, wow. I, think I, I could drive to South Carolina and see these same woods. <laughs> I was just like, is this movie racist? Like, I could not get over the thought, like, how racist it was. Yeah. I mean, there are like, because uh, Tommy Davidson is in uh, is in it, so there are like black funny people in it, but it's like I understand why you would ask that question. But I remember whenever we used to watch it, whenever we watched it as kids, I I didn't think I wasn't offended by any of it. I just thought all of it was funny. But I think it has to do with like the the perception of Africa by black Americans, black people growing up in the U.S., because we don't really know much about Africa. So I'm sure there were a lot of stereotypes in the movie that are just, they seem funny to us, but maybe if you're from Africa, from a specific country in Africa, not just the continent in general, but if you, right. if you I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing that. I guess Nibia is the country, but if you're from, uh, you know, a country in Africa, then maybe you see Ace Ventura and you're like, oh, well, this is just doing the same old stereotypes that we've seen before. And so I'm sure I have to apologize as well from my introduction of it. I said Africa, like as a (laughs) continent as a whole, right? But like whenever I was researching it, that's what I got. Like it was, it went to Africa. Like (laughs) that was it. They was not trying to give you specifics. (laughs) No specific. Right. Essentially saying like this was the entire continent. This is what you're going to see. And so those were the things that were kind of playing in my head. Like, can I enjoy this movie now? Because, like, our understanding of what was racist, just the climate around that has changed since 95 mm-hmm. when it came out and until For now. For sure, yeah. And so, yeah, just, like, all of the conversations, I'm like, God, I want, I, I don't want anybody to know I'm laughing at this movie. <laughs> <I'm laughs> <so bad. laughs> the, um, but, but with the overall theme, right, of nature winning... I think when we got to the end and we found out that the um, consulate, I forgot what he was called, what his title was, but he was the one in power as far as the consulate. And he had stolen the bat because he wanted to create the war Mm. between the two tribes. Right. And so at that point where Ace Ventura figures it out, or, or he tells him, he could have easily just said, okay, dusted his hands and left, right? But as instead of doing that, he recovers the bat. That's when they go on that chase scene, which was funny. He recovers <laughs> the bat. <laughs> and the um and so he like keeps the tribes from going to war. So keeping that peace, returning, you know, the animal. And overall, allowing those tribes to win over this this whole plan of the consulate. And so I appreciated that. And I feel like in the end, like you said earlier, nature did win in the end because, you know, the war was, um, the war plot was thwarted. Right. And it does seem like even though Ace Ventura comes in as the white devil and all this stuff, like he's crazy and ridiculous, but it does seem like like you like you just explained, like he he does 
care about the the people, the indigenous people there. Like he's not just going in and then being a tool of you know the the colonizers because he sees you know that they're the problem. So he, like you say, he thwarts the war and he makes it impossible for them to continue to take advantage of these indigenous people. So even a lot of it is like it's very touchy stuff. Whenever he puts on that mask, <laughs> he's walking around like an idiot. It, it, it's a little bit insensitive, but ultimately, you know, like he, he sees them, he sees both tribes as people and he does attempt to like, you know, explain the situation to them. So I don't think it's a complete wash. It It is <laughs> insensitive at times, but it is also like, I think Ace Ventura is ultimately a hero. Yeah. And while I was researching it, um, from Screen Rant, the website that I got it from, it was saying that Jim Carrey like showed apprehension um, for the film because oh. he himself thought it was kind of racist. So he was oh. at least in there saying like, uh, this might be a bit much. And so it made me appreciate Jim Carrey more because um, we know he could have just gone for, let me just get a blockbuster that's going to be funny. But right. especially after seeing the, the the results of the first one, but he did actually care enough um, to at least make that known. So I appreciated him more with that knowing, knowing that. The, that movie was the first time that I ever learned the word guano. I didn't know what it was at the time, and I've never forgotten it since. Then. <laughs> guano, yes. Uh, that was the point where he was eating the stuff and he was like, this is good. What is this? And then he was like, it's guano. And he was like, guano. Death droppings. And he like scrapes it off his tongue. Like, Jim Carrey's facial expressions like sell all of his movies. He's but a, it's like... Like you said, that word, like I now know what guano was because of that. Like I learned something <laughs> right. from the movie. I'm content with it. I also yeah. know that it's hot inside of rhinos. It's kind of hot in them <laughs> rhinos, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's the funniest thing. I can't think of. Well, that's one of my favorite Jim Carrey scenes whenever he's like, what is he, he's doing like a stakeout inside of a mechanical mm-hmm. rhino trying to figure out who's like poaching animals or whatever. And so mm-hmm. the door breaks and so he gets trapped in there. <laughs> and so he starts taking off all his clothes and stuff. And then eventually he pokes out the butt end of the rhino, of the mechanical rhino. <laughs> so it looks like the rhino gives birth to a man. The funniest sequence ever. The only thing funnier, I think, is have you ever seen Me, Myself, and Irene? Yes. You know that part where he's trying to like put the cow out of its misery, <laughs> but the cow won't die? <laughs> That's my second funniest uh, Jim Carrey moment. But but yeah, the, the rhino thing is like the funniest thing ever. It has, I really do enjoy his movies overall. I think they are I'm going to say well thought out (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not going to think too much into, you know, the intricacies of all of his movies, but they, they they're lasting memories, right? Because like you said, we've watched these movies billions of times. (laughs) It seems like. 
literally billions, guys. We have, <laughs> we have still don't have anything to do with our lives but watch Jim Carrey movies. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> And like it was, it was like picking the movie. It was very nostalgic, but by the end of it, I was just like, "Okay." Of course, I knew what was going to happen, but it was like, "It's I can package it now. I can go ahead and put it away and not have to watch it again <laughs> ever, and I'll be content with that. I'm not going to buy it on DVD or whatever the next." Um, mode of saving things are. I'm just not going to do it. I don't need to read Brain it. implant. You're not going to oh, get a brain implant chip of it. I hear you. I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> I already bought cocaine beer. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I haven't seen um, I haven't seen it in years. Um but I don't think there's like, I haven't had like a, a strong urge to watch those 90s uh, Jim Carrey movies. Because to me, like they're good in the past and like there's been other funny stuff since then. And I don't even know if I if I would find Jim Carrey's physical comedy as funny as I used to. So I don't know. Like I like having the memory of it being good. I don't need to watch it to see if it holds up. Like I'll, I'll just trust my memories. Of it. Yep. That's how I just ruined When Nature Calls. I should have left it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did watch um, the reason why like what brought it to my memory was the first one was on. So Peck Detective was on. Mm-hmm. And I was like watching it. I had caught it halfway through and he had just went to the uh, insane asylum. And so he was, had on the little tutu and he was doing the whole <laughs> show to get admitted. And I died laughing the entire time. And I'm so it's like, those mannerisms man like the fact that this is what you're doing right now for this laugh you deserve this yeah you deserve he does he'll go a long way to get a laugh you mentioned it before about the nature setting and and uh ace ventura 2 is a beautiful landscape like it's a beautiful uh, I guess Nibia. I'm just, I don't, I'm trying to avoid just saying Africa, but I don't, we don't really know where it takes place. <laughs> but it, I, I think he made it, it, the movie made Africa look really beautiful. I really wanted to go and safari there after I saw that movie. Yeah. And the abundance of animals, man. Like, I, I'm still on that. I wanted to go to the, um, the monastery because it starts off, he's in the monastery. And so like that scene where they're like all the animals flying around and they do it again at the end in the consulate where there's just like animals everywhere. And that's what I love about thinking of what Africa is, what the the abundance of animals. Right. Like and I I get it in specific areas. It's not just all of Africa, but it was definitely beautiful to watch. And to see those animals moving and acting on cue. Because they did the elephant too, right? The elephant just sits on the car when he walks by and it's like, oh, <laughs> right, yeah. And so I found that to be very, 
just beautiful thought um, that there is an interaction that can happen between man and animal that doesn't have to take from either one of them. Right. That's a good point. I was trying, so, I was, uh, just before, I'm sorry, just before we wrap it up, I was looking at the Wikipedia page and it says they made it for $30 million. They made the movie for $30 million and it made over $200 million. Jim Carrey is a, he was a beast in the nineties, man. <laughs> he was definitely a beast. You want to know the other thing about that? What? The movie cost $30 million. 15 million of it went to Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, wow. He should have got yes. more. It made 212 million. <laughs> but if you think about all of the people, all of the yeah, animals yeah, that yeah. had to be trained and used, location, flights, all of that, Jim Carrey still took home half of that income for what the budget. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. But he did deserve it, though, for sure. He did eat guano for the sake of a laugh, so <laughs> <laughs> like it was real, right? <laughs> he did do it, yeah. <laughs> oh man. So that was Ace Ventura when nature calls, the second of the Ace Ventura installments, and the last. So if you haven't seen it, if you're just looking for something to play in the background or just pass an hour and a half and not get any payoff, it's a good movie to catch. Otherwise, (laughs) just leave it in the past and take this conversation to say, if you didn't watch it, at least you heard about it. At least you know it exists now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing. All right, welcome back. Uh, on today, we're talking about that quote that I I, I used before, uh, where nature, where wild things win, is a quote from uh, the 2021 book by River Solomon called Sorrowland, and it's about um, it's about a girl uh, named Fern that grows up in a cult. It's called the. I'm sorry, my notes are all over the place, guys. Let me babble through this until like okay so Vern she grows up in a cult called the Blessed Gardens of Cain and it's a separatist cult uh all black people and the the thing that I I like the most I mean it's weird to say that I like a cult but the thing that I appreciate the most about what this community was trying to do in the book is that they were very close to nature and they taught up uh, like everybody in their community knew how to survive off the land uh, and that actually comes into play later whenever uh, the main character, Vern, escapes the cult. And she she's pregnant at the time whenever she escapes the cult. And she ends up surviving in the woods on her own. Uh, and I can't remember, Reggie, do you remember she gave birth while she was in the woods or before she escaped the cult? While she was in the woods. Yeah, yeah she was out so there she, herself. She's out there by herself and she gives birth to twins. And so not only does she is she a teenager who just gave birth to two two little boys, uh, there's also this weird 
monster that seems to be stalking her in the woods. And on top of that, she starts to grow this like weird growth on her back. Uh, it's sort of like an exoskeleton type thing. And um, so over the course of the novel, we learned we learn uh, more about the cult and we also learn more about what's afflicting burn because she, she manages to escape the cult. She manages to keep her kids alive in the woods and to escape this like weird creature. Uh, and then she meets, um, I guess she meets Ollie first, uh, this biker lady at a, at a bar or whatever. And so they spend time together until Vern realizes that she's sort of an agent of the cult that she just escaped. And then the, she, uh, eventually ends up reconnecting with friends of a friend who escaped the cult years ago. So it's like, uh, I can't remember the name of the characters off the top of my head, but they're... Uh, Bridget and Gogo. Bridget and Gogo. Well, I'm, um, they live in the woods, I guess. Uh, and so the main character Vern, she manages to get on a bus to escape the woods where she is. And so she ends up going to the one place that she knows the last place that she heard that her friend lived. And it's a city. I think it, I want to say Colorado, but I could be wrong about the the state, Uh, but it is somewhere where it's like in the woods. And I think there's snow and stuff like that. Cause I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember them mentioning snow and like that whole snowy wood setting is like beautiful in my mind. And I, I remember when I was reading it, I pictured it very vividly. So like a lot of that imagery is really stuck in my head. And I think river Solomon is really good at rendering the, the setting and, and the places where Vern is surviving essentially. Uh, But so the, after she goes to Colorado uh, and she meets up with Gogo, who is a she's a she's medically trained, but I don't think she's actually a nurse. And then I'm sorry, what was the other character's name? Bridget. Bridget. Uh, so they help uh, Vern, you know, recover and uh, help her to take care of her kids. Or, or and then they discover that uh, Vern has this fungi growth on her back that is sort of like as it grows it becomes more of an exoskeleton on her back and and it covers her body and it gives her like enhanced strength and then by the end of the story we learn that people from the cult are still pursuing well not necessarily people from the cult it turns out that the cult is sort of like um a psyop operation by the u.s government where they're testing um uh, they're testing, uh, like, uh, they're trying to create super soldiers, essentially, using these, like, uh, spores and uh, fungi and uh, and that kind of thing. And so they managed to create two super women in, in uh, Ali and uh, a character called, I think her name is Bessie. Uh, but Bessie is more of, like, she's, like, this docile attack dog for Ali. And so there's like this really big climactic fight at the end where Vern manages to kill Ali and uh, they end up going back to the cult and then they do something amazing there. I won't spoil that ending because I spoiled most of it for you, I think, because I don't think Reggie's finished it yet. But <laughs> but the actual end end of the book is actually very inspiring. But I cho- I wanted to, to talk about this book. I read it like a year ago and... Um, I'll talk about a little bit later about other books that uh, uh, rip, uh, 
Solomon has written that I think are really awesome. But I really enjoyed this book because it, it, it takes place in nature. And one thing I was reading earlier about it, it's the, it has themes about post-humanism. So like, what do we become after what we are now? And so what Byrne represents is sort of a combination of flora and fauna. She is, she's a woman, but then she gets this fungal infection. I, 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 the infection is, it, it's a, uh, it's it's something that happened while she was still at the cult because they were drugging everybody in the cult with these spores in order to see if they could turn them into super soldiers. So she's one of the few that are actually able to develop superpowers from the experimentation. So uh, it is really cool, like the imagery of her having this like really intricate skeleton that's sort of like antlers that grow from her back and they're like they have veins and stuff like wings almost but there's no she can't fly i don't think because there's no like they don't flap or anything but it does make her very strong uh but so reggie you're reading the book for the first time what do you think about it so far i'm glad that i'm invested the time into the reading because Like you were saying, the way that Solomon like paints the image of the environment, the setting, it, it's so beautifully done. And because it relies so much on nature, like it it, it creates this environment that I want to be a part of, right? Like I want to <laughs> I want it to go live out in the woods for a while if this is what it's like. And, but on top of that, so we find out like Vern is 15 when she leaves. She's so young. Yeah. She's so young. She's 15. And I think it takes course of of, over four years. Right. So like you said, she's out in the woods, has a baby. Then Two she's babies. like running from something. But like she has the first one. She just gets that one disconnected and she's like getting it taken <laughs> care of. And then something's chasing her. So she's running and then she stops and plops out the second one. Forgive me for the third plops. <laughs> but it just it was how quickly it happened, right? Because right. as as the first one was described, it was a process. But the second one, she was trying to like stay alive yeah, and exactly, still having yeah. the second baby but then to go on and care for it and her, the two and herself it was like just just so beautifully done in talking about the strength of one strength of women strength of black people strength strength yeah. when you rely on the land like all of that together and that's what really kept me engaged through the first set, the first part of the book. But then we find out there's something growing on her, right? And so right. the second part, we start to really see what's going on and what it effect it has. And like you were saying, she left the woods because she knows, knew she was starting to get sick. And she just really yeah. was concerned about dying and leaving the kids in the woods. And so she ends up with Bridget and Gogo. And it seems like that third part is the part I'm getting to now where we learn what exactly is going on with her and she's starting to learn how to harness it. Hmm. I just, I don't know where it's going. 
and part of me wants it to be this amazing superhero story where she's like saving the lives of black people but also i love where it's talking about the, that mycelium those that um yes the fungal. network and yeah. so especially after watching discovery and where right. discovery was a lot based off of that mycelium network so i'm like okay this this could be really be something very like in depth and so i'm interested to see where solomon's going to go with it yeah, we didn't really talk about it much on the on that episode, but yeah, the ship, the the discovery has that uh, warp engine drive, and it travels, uh, it can travel across the universe at, in instantaneously on a mycelium network, and that's one cool thing that I've noticed in sci-fi as of late is the way that uh, writers and creators are using uh, mushrooms and fungi because they're fascinating plants. I don't know if you've seen um, um, The Last of Us on HBO. It's a zombie show, but the zombie apocalypse is caused by fungi that are able to affect infect humans and then control their brains to make them ravenous zombies. And then uh, there's also a book called, um, <clears throat> it's called Mexican Gothic, uh, Sylvia Garcia Moreno, Sylvia Moreno Garcia. And it's a, it's, it has um, fungi in it as well. And it's a story, it's sort of like a, um, <clears throat> a horror story, a haunted house story, and the ghosts exist within this mycelial network. So like, there's a lot of really cool ideas that writers and things are exploring with it. And that idea of ghosts in the network, in the mycelial network, plays into um, uh, Sorrowland as well. So I, I, whenever I read it, it, I was thinking about those things. I hadn't seen Discovery at the time whenever I read it, but I had read uh, Mexican Gothic, and it was like, yeah, this is really cool that, these that these writers are exploring this in a, in a way that introduces us to the complexity of fungi, but also like they're able to set their stories within this very very clear social structure that they're trying to comment on. So like um, I think Solomon does a good job of commenting on the strength of women, like you said earlier, uh, and then there's also questions of like. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a racial comment with the cult. I think it's more about, well, I guess you could say like, you know, because Solomon, River Solomon is non-binary. Uh, they go by them and they as pronouns. And so it seems like uh, they wouldn't have like such a strong attachment to religion or to the church. And so the cult sort of seems like a, a criticism of organized religion in a way. Or that's how I read it anyway, because, you know, sometimes people get so into it and they'll listen to anything that the leaders say that they don't have their own, you know, their own ideas and thoughts. So and that level of blind faith can cause issues. It can cause problems. So I think that uh, Solomon does a good job of creating a story that sort of shows how, you know, if you have too much faith, then you can end up marrying your teenage daughter your 13 year old daughter to the head of a cult so be very careful (laughs) i think like you were saying there's so many like topics that they address in this book 
because mm-hmm. like you said there is there is a racial implication because we the explanation of the start of the group is very racial and a lot of the things that the preacher was talking about was stemmed on that that racial implication but then we have the religious aspect of it of just like you said following blindly whatever leader is in front of you at the moment and then we have the conversation on sexuality on on gender um and i think it was done in such a way where we see like all of these things they don't define who the person is but they do all add up to the person that they become because right. whenever we see um Vern's her interaction with Ollie, it was a result of the things that Sherman had been saying to her while she was in that camp. And so she's in this rebellious nature at this point where mm-hmm. what I'm going to do the opposite of what you say. Of the opposite of everything you said to me, because I won't, I need to prove to myself that I'm not what you say I am, and so right. she was easily more easily able to get in and snare herself into that trap of Ollie because she was just looking for an outlet. But then we also right. can see that the responsibility of raising two kids in the woods at sixteen, it was just a moment <laughs> to breathe, <laughs> like just yeah. just breathe, girl, yeah, like man. do your thing because you deserve it. Because <laughs> absolutely, because I can't imagine. And so I, can, I love I could not how imagine. it just it just ties together so well, and it creates this understanding that people aren't just black and white. Like it's not right. just this and that. Like there are so many factors, and that's what I like about going through this book because and following Vern's story because it's hard. It's hard to you can't pinpoint who Vern is because right, yes. Yeah, you and don't know what's gonna come you, out in any moment. Exactly. And once you think you you do have a, a bead on who she is, she ends up sprouting this thing out of her back. So it's like she's at no point is she ever what you expect for her to be. And that's I think that's really keeping in uh in, in with the themes of what uh Solomon was trying to do is that like as somebody who doesn't have she or they don't uh, identify in a binary, I think it shows like she was really trying to create a character who could transcend a lot of those labels. But that, like you were saying, is a product of all those communities and things that she's a part of, but she manages to transcend it, but doesn't forget at all where she comes from. The ending of the book is very, uh, it's a reminder of that where she transcends and then she remembers where she came from. So I'm very curious what you think about that ending once you get to it. Um, maybe we'll talk about that the next time we record. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, it, it's an awesome book. It has really awesome layers to it. Uh, one criticism of it that I read, and I'm curious what you think about this, is that, um, well, there were a few people, uh, reviewers, who were saying that there was a little bit too much in the book and that the plot wasn't, the plot suffered as a as a result. And I think I sort of agree with it because there were times where... I was really enjoying the setting and the way that the 
that things are described and the nature and everything, but there were times where it's like the plot's not advancing. And so it had me sort of wondering like, where is this going to go? And then once it did continue, it was like, Oh, I definitely didn't see that coming. (laughs) And so sometimes it was a little bit disorienting and not surprising in the way that I thought it should be. But I, I wonder what your thoughts are about that. I think because of how I consume my books, since I'm an audiobook person, it feels like to me I'm just watching this movie, right? But beyond that, it's like I'm just chilling with the characters. Like, that's what right. it feels like for me. And so right. in normal interaction with people in my daily life, there are times that are just chill. Like, you're just there. And I feel like that's what happens. And then something comes along that's like off the wall some big thing and so i actually appreciate that there are moments where we're just indulging ourselves in the snow like just right Right? so it's like yeah it it made me uncomfortable but i'm like i get it right because starting off it was always something going on so yes take a moment and then like i appreciate being able to take that moment with her never mind i appreciate that she was allowed to take that moment it right, made me uncomfortable yeah. it did <laughs> well because you were expecting something to happen no because i was not expecting that to happen like uh, it's the point where she's realizing she can connect with the mycelia throughout the ground and so Right. She's taking that time to like really just like be there, and she has to, in her mind, I have to be naked, and it has it turned right. into a sexual thing, and it's like I get it, but then those cases was where I think it might have been a little bit too much in this area because right. you take this story that could be used, like if you take out of the take out those areas that become a bit more adult then you could use this story at a children's level almost. But once you start adding that in, you do a lot. And so (laughs) I get it. (laughs) This is clearly my uncomfortable zone. Well, no, no, because I mean, it it does, it makes you like, it's, it's that idea about transhuman that I was talking about earlier. And that's like, that idea is it's, it's a little strange, right? Because it's about the, the, the union of, man and nature or in this case you know woman and nature and then it's like yeah like like you know like can they be intimate in a way and then like those types of questions you know the the situation begs those types of questions but yeah those questions are uncomfortable and strange because we're not we don't do stuff like that with plants so it is weird (laughs) But it is, I think it's an interesting thing to think about as like, what would be the next step of human evolution? Would it be, especially considering that our bodies, we're composed of, you know, microorganisms and we have a microbiome. And so we're made up of all these different organisms that keep us alive and that kind of thing. What if you added a a fungus to it and then we were able to connect with nature in that way where we could talk to plants and stuff, what would that be like? And then would we be able to, you know, have those types of 
intimate interactions with trees or <laughs> would we become vegisexuals? Vegisexuals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanna ask you this. <laughs> so there is oh, a God. part of <laughs> <laughs> There is a part of the story that really, it puts me in the mind state of Octavia Butler, a lot of the work that Mm. I've um, read from her, and also some of like the novel of yours that I've read. And I remember I was having a conversation with my literature teacher about Octavia Butler. And I was saying, I think... Octavia Butler, I see it as science fiction. Right. Science fiction. Yes. Because though it's not robots and that type of science fiction, I think Octavia Butler does a good job of using psychology and biology as the science base to build her story around. And I see that same thing here. Like it's very, it's very biologically based when we're talking about the fungus to this level. Do you, but my professor was saying it's a fantasy. It's like, she was almost like she couldn't say it was science fiction. I'm curious what you think about that. Like if you had to classify it, even though it doesn't matter, is it science fiction to you? Can it be? Uh, it's very funny that you asked that question because I was going to ask you a very similar question because I was, when I was reading about it, because I was just refreshing my memory of the plot and it, the website Wikipedia was saying that it's, they classify it as gothic sci-fi. And th- that title in and of itself says a lot because that shit did not exist last year. It didn't exist five years ago. Like they're always making up genres for books in order to try to sell them to people so that people get a better idea of what something is. Cause like you said, whenever you hear sci-fi, you think about robots, you might think about aliens, but you don't think about fungus or, <laughs> or people, a mass group of people being uh, drugged by the government and that kind of thing. Cause like, yeah, that's a science fiction story because you use science. And so I think like a fantasy story is it, it involves things that don't have, it usually involves, I th- in my definition, myths and legends. So things that don't come, th- there's the stories that we tell, um, in order to explain things that we don't take the time to to figure out scientifically. So to me, a fantasy story, and like this, this is not a fantasy story because it, it's based off of the assumption that we, human beings have figured out a, a mechanism to combine you know, men and fungi. And so they're doing experiments. That's science fiction to me. So I would definitely classify it as science fiction. And I, I was going to ask you what, what you thought about the type, about the gothic part of that. Like, I don't know if you are familiar with what gothic is, but they usually talk about like gothic is sort of like a, a style of horror, like Dracula or Frankenstein, that old school stuff that like it's very eerie and it sets the mood and like dark castles and things like that. Not necessarily always castles, but that's, that's just the example. But I'm curious, what do you think that is a, does it have horror elements that are so pronounced that you would put that as part of the classification of what it is? 
to me, no. I've I don't see the horror aspect prominently in it. It's for me, it's like, yeah, she's being haunted. Like ultimately that's it, right? She's being haunted in her days based off in whatever's going on with the biology of it all. But that's what I see more, right? Because you see her evolve and change over the course of the story and the like the hauntings just seem like a, a second part that she learns to deal with so right. I, I wouldn't put that in the in the um explanation of what it is i think it's it, it's science fiction that really delves into some deep topics i because I, yeah. I see her as a normal human being and then we introduce that scientific element so it, i just yeah I could see, um, like, there, whenever she was in the woods before she had the twins or as she was having the twins, <laughs> like, that whole, the, her being stalked thing was, it was very, it was a, I, I definitely felt that. And then it was like, whenever it was the mystery of what is it that's following her, and it seems to be like this really weird thing that's able to move in unexpected ways and that kind of thing, I think that the, that part was it was it definitely had the dressings of a horror story because it, yeah she's being stalked by something in the dark but i think ultimately i agree with you that i don't think that the novel spent enough time there for one in order for it to be it doesn't characterize the entirety of the novel and then i think that the 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 themes that matter most is not the that that section where she's in the woods, the themes that matter most are her overcoming that fear. And she overcomes that fairly early in order to do all the, the, the things that she eventually has to do in order to take care of herself and to take care of the, her son. So it's like, it's horror for like five minutes, but then it's like <laughs> the rest of it is her dealing with the, the fallout from these experiments. And so to me, that's firmly science fiction. Yeah. Excuse me. I think that my favorite thing about the novel, like a lot of crappy things happens to this character, but I love how each time something happens, she grows. Like there is a, an obvious strengthening of her each time something happens. And so I appreciate that about the way it was written, because like I said, each, like the first instance of her being chased, this is where she realizes she can jump from tree to tree while holding right, on to two right. babies. Or, well, no, she can <laughs> have the babies and survive it, or she can jump from tree to tree. Um, and so each, every time something like, you just like, this is just terrible. She's like, eh, I'm better for it. Like, and so it, yeah. it's very inspiring. And then we realize it's a 15 year old. So I was like, I can do, like, I can survive. <laughs> right. if, you, if I get lost I in the woods next week, you know why. <laughs> If I get lost in the woods, I would be dead in five minutes. Like I would not survive. Like that. That's why I have so much respect for Vern because it's like she knew she was able to. She was able to survive, man. And I just I know myself well enough to know that I would have been like, "There's no internet out here. I can't plug shit in. I need some food now. I'm not gonna hunt some shit." and cook it over a fire i would be done immediately but she she was not and then it was like just like you said just kept adding stuff to her her all her already very sorrowful life and she just kept rising to the occasion yeah 
and I like there was a moment where so the quote was she was saying going against tended to end more justly more rightly than going with right and it was her trying to make a decision and at that point i'm like did she make life harder for herself because she was so adversarial throughout the throughout the beginning of it but then i'm like no she should have been that adversarial throughout because otherwise she would have fallen into that that blind line and you know she would have never have developed um, right. She never she would did. have escaped the cult at all. Like, it, 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 like you knew she wasn't going to be long for that cult because of her personality. And then once she lost her friend, once her friend left, it was like, yeah, no, she, of course she's going to figure it out. It doesn't matter what her mother says because her mother's still there whenever she leaves, whenever she escapes. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like this, there's, it, this is wrong. I know that it's wrong and I have to, to get out of here. And she, it, yeah, it was really inspiring to see her succeed yeah especially after yeah just not like it just it feels so impossible especially whenever you explain the story like she's an occult she's barely a teenager and then she has to get out she manages to get out has some babies and and then like she still just she just she did it she just she found her her freedom and that that that's very inspiring yeah definitely We've been talking about this for a lot longer than I thought we were going to. <laughs> this should have been the main story. <laughs> but I did want to mention really quickly before we wrap it up, because I did, uh, River Solomon has two other books. Um, the her the Their first book was called, uh, well, the book that, that I know the most or that I know, that I read because I didn't read her the their first novel. I read um, the Deep, and it's a story about uh, black mermaids essentially. So it tells the story about uh, so you know during the the slave trade they brought Africans over to America uh, on ships, and so there there were stories about pregnant women who were thrown overboard, and so in this uh, reality that. I don't think I don't in this story that Solomon wrote the babies that were still in their mother's bellies whenever they were thrown over the ship they were born into the water and then they became mermaids essentially and so we flash forward to the present or flash forward years later there's a whole society of these black mermaids that are descendant from these slaves that were thrown overboard and i absolutely recommend that book because it's um for one is really short it's a novella but the <laughs> the uh the, everything about it is just so beautiful and the fact that they that uh yeah the fact that they were able to tell a story from such a bleak you know, reality, I thought was awesome. And it's actually based on uh, an idea from a, a rap group. And I don't know much about the rap group because they made a song um, and then uh, Solomon heard the song and wrote the the story. So, but definitely look into it. It's one of the best books that I read last year. And then the first novel that they wrote... It was called An Unkindness of Ghosts. 
And it's also a science fiction novel. And I have not read that yet, but um, I just, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Solomon now. So everybody should go get all of their books and read all of them. <laughs> Even though Saruland has, there are issues. It's not a perfect story. Cause like I said, there are parts where it seems like it stalls narratively. It's still some of the best, like, world building like you'll see you'll be able to see every setting that that they describe in that book it's just such a beautifully written book you should absolutely check it out um reggie anything else you wanted to say about sorrowland before we wrap it up no i could go on for another eight hours (laughs) we might have to come back to this this story at some point we'll figure out a way to We'll use another theme for from the book in order to talk about it on another episode. It's a really good book. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. Go get that book and come on back and join us as we close it out. Wrap it up. All right, so that does it for our nature episode. The, that quote again was where wild things win and that's uh, like I said it's a quote from Saruland and Vern is talking about the woods specifically because she says she likes the woods because that's where wild things win because she had always been called a, a wild person so she finally filed, found herself whenever she was in the woods but I just I want, now I gotta go camping or something Reggie I gotta go, get, go to the woods <laughs> You have fun with that. Um, <laughs> with cocaine bears out there, I can't say I'm going to do it. But Maybe we I probably do. got meth bears down here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Those things are ruthless. Come <laughs> crazy. I'll take a hike with you sometime, but I'm going to a house at the end of that session. So, <laughs> Yeah. But I do, like, the woods are there, a really beautiful setting. Uh, I got a, um, we went to Tennessee recently and like staying at a cabin in the woods, it, it was very peaceful and tranquil. So I got to get back to the woods sometime soon. I fully agree. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the idea of uh, forest bathing. It no. Kind of like it's the thing. It's the idea, no. similar to sunbathing, but just spending some time out in the like surrounded by trees, surrounded by nature. It's just supposed to help calm, you know, anxiety, those type of things. And so I try to right. make, have those moments as much as possible. So next um, trip to the mountains, I'm kind of opposed to Tennessee. I'm in <laughs> and let me know. Yeah. So I hope you guys get out and go check out the woods. And uh, Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back soon. I'm going to stop saying that this is weekly because we just do it whenever we do it. And yeah, so just come back, join us whenever we have a new episode and uh, check out the, the blog. I'm plugging it this time. It's the PRL Serials blog. And then, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see you On soon. On this podcast, Thanks. you can rate it. You can like it. Yes. And that way you'll get the updates whenever we do post a new one. And because we love you, we want you to share it with all your friends so that everybody can join along and follow our stories. Thank you, Reggie. Because, yeah, 
I, I just be doing comedy out, so I don't be like <laughs> throwing to them. <laughs> All right, guys, come back soon. <laughs>